You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. All right, Luke chapter 12. Uh, we're going to jump right in. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. And uh, listen, to what, uh, listen to what it says. It says, And he said to his disciples, We already know that this is Jesus. It says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you. Now let's pause there. So two weeks ago we were in Luke chapter 12. And we studied the text leading right up to this. Verses 13 to verse 21. And, and so he says, Therefore I tell you. So anytime you see the word therefore, and it's kind of cheesy for me to say this, but this is an important thing you need to know when studying the Bible or really reading anything. Anytime you see the word therefore, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to stop and you're supposed to see, it's cheesy, don't hate me, but you're supposed to see what it's there for. And so you have to go back and you have to see what Jesus said in this case to understand what he's going to say to us this week. So a quick little recap here. We saw two weeks ago that we are crazy rich, like on a global scale. Every single human in this room is crazy rich. Like, like you may not even think you are, feel like you are, but you are. There's nobody in this room that is, that is outside. Like, like, let me rephrase that. Everybody in this room is at least in the top 15% of the wealthiest people in the world. And I would argue and bet that most of the people in this room uh, come from families who would be considered in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. And what we saw two weeks ago is, is that one of the most basic evidences of God working in a church or in a ministry is that the people within that church and ministry, like they take care of each other. So what that looks like on an individual scale is one of the most basic evidences of, of the fact or the reality that God is working in your life is that you begin to have this desire to do what you can to take care of your brothers and sisters in Christ if Jesus lives in you, if you have put your faith in Christ. And the reason for that is this. It's impossible to be a benefactor of God's wealth of grace and not be driven to do or desire to give what you can to other people. Um, real faith realizes that what you have is not yours. Real faith realizes that God owns your stuff. And the bottom line we saw that first week of this series two weeks ago is that there's so much more to life than money. And so that's what leads into verse 22, which we look at tonight. And it says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. So Jesus says, don't be anxious. Let's just call that what it is. He straight up says, starting off, don't fear. Don't be afraid. In fact, if you go down to verse 32, which we'll start there next week, he says, fear not. I feel like that's how people, preachers always said, fear not, the Lord said. He says, don't be afraid. Let me ask you this. What are you afraid of? I mean, I'll just, I'll just who says snakes? You say snakes? You're my girl. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm about to kind of share one of my fears. Like, there's a few things that freak me out, and I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit it. Uh, I, I'm not really afraid of snakes, but I do have this growing fear of snakes. And it's not so much a fear of snakes, but it's more so a fear of the sneakiness of snakes. Uh, and this is because of some close calls. I've had about five or six close calls in my life with poisonous snakes. The most recent being last weekend. I was out camping, and it was dark out. I was, I was about, I'm, I'm about to call tonight, go to bed, uh, go to ground, I guess. And, uh, and I'm, I'm like, I got to go to the bathroom. So in this place, you know, there's other people camping around. So instead of just going outside, they have like a designated little outhouse basically. And so I was going to walk over to this outhouse. Well, apparently I wasn't the only one who had to go to the bathroom. 
I'm walking up, and I have this headlamp, but it's fading because I didn't change the batteries before I went camping. And I can see it looked like a wiggly little stick, but then it moved, and I realized that wasn't just a wiggly little stick. It was a snake, and I looked closer, and it was a copperhead. And so, uh, it's, I mean, I'm probably two three feet from it, and he's headed the same direction I was. And so I was like, cool, it's all yours, man. I'll wait. Um, and, and, and here's the thing. Like, I'm not really scared of snakes. I'm scared of the sneakiness of snakes because a lot of times you don't see them. Um, me and snakes have this understanding that unless I'm wearing rubber boots and have a shovel in my hand, I'm going to leave the snake alone. I'm not going to mess with it. But in this case, I didn't have either of those. I had sandals and no shovel and a bad flashlight. So I let it have its way, and I went back later. In fact, when I went back later, I, I literally left and uh, came back later. I probably should have tried to kill the snake because there are other people camping around, like including kids, like in other parts of the woods. Uh, it went off into the woods towards somebody else's campsite, and I was like, whatever, I'm not worried about it anymore. Um, but I came back later because I still had to go to the bathroom. This time I brought my headlamp that was fading, uh, a handheld light, and I also had a lantern with me. So I'm walking through like this. <laughs> And I finally get in the outhouse, and I'm like looking around, you know, checking inside. I just don't want anything jumping out and biting and ruining my camping adventure, you know. So I'm a little bit scared, not so much of snakes, but of the sneakiness of snakes. So let me ask you this. What are you afraid of? Spiders. What? Failure. Oh, failure. Clearly, some of y'all are afraid of speaking in public. What else are you afraid of? Car accidents, huh? Staying in college. That's good. Huh? Over here. Now, notice how there's no guys saying anything. Guys are afraid of telling other people what they're afraid of. So there you go. There's something guys are afraid of. (laughs) If y'all didn't hear that, uh, J.D., our sound guy, said his wife. Well, listen to what Jesus says, Luke 12, verse 22. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious or don't be afraid about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will wear. He says two specific things. He says, don't be afraid of what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Now, by God's grace, even though my family growing up, we, we had some tough financial issues, I was never afraid of whether or not I was going to get to eat that night. Like, I never carried that anxiety or worry. Now, I'm sure there were times my parents did, uh, but they, ha- they, they, they hid that pretty well from me and my sister. Now, I will say there were some times where I was afraid of what I was going to eat. My mom, she cooked this nasty chicken uh, she would cook it in the crock pot. I call it puke chicken. Uh, and if she was here, she would know exactly what I'm talking about. It was like she would throw up in the crock pot in the morning, take raw chicken and throw it in there and let it marinate and cook all day long and then take it out and serve it to us. And no amount of ketchup, no amount of ranch, no amount of anything could cover up the absolutely disgusting taste of puke chicken. And uh, so eventually I boycotted and she stopped uh, cooking puke chicken. But anyways... Most of us, we don't really deal with the fear of whether or not we're going to eat something tonight or be able to eat today. Uh, now, some of you, like, you live in Kerr, and so you live with the fear of what Kerr is going to serve you that morning. <laughs> Those of you who go to T-Dub and have to eat at the underground, I know you live with the fear of what the underground is going to serve you because that place is nasty. But none of us, I mean, there, there, are, there are a few people in here who you worry about where your next meal is going to come from. But most in this room do not live with that fear. In the same way, most in here don't really live with the fear or worry about having clothes to wear in the sense that Jesus is talking about here. Now, again, I know many of you girls live in total anxiety over what you're going to wear every day, uh, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Now, even though most of us in this room really don't lose a lot of sleep worrying about what we're going to eat, or what we're going to wear, these basic needs, we are all victims of so many different fears. Some of you admitted to fearing snakes. 
Some of you, you're, you're, you're terrified of getting sick or, or getting a disease or getting cancer. You sneeze, you think you have Ebola. Some of you, somebody said you're afraid of a car accident. There, there's all these, some of us are afraid of, uh, of dying. Some of you, you're afraid of not getting out of college. Awful was set up here in the front. Some of you are afraid of graduating from college because you think, okay, I got this degree, but am I even going to be able to get a job with this degree that I've worked so hard for? Some of you are, are, are afraid of how am I going to pay off? You worry about how am I going to pay off all my student loans? I mean, there's all these fears that, that do plague us. All of us, we want to be liked. We want to be healthy. We want to be successful. We want to be safe. We want to live comfortably. We want to be happy. And because of that, many of us fear not having those things. I believe there's so much fear plaguing this room. In fact, I think if we could take, if there was a such thing as a fear-sensing camera, kind of like those heat-sensing thermal imaging cameras, that do uh, you know what I'm talking about? Like those, those cop cars that have that big white thing on the top that looks like, I don't even know what it looks like, but uh, those are heat-sensing, thermal imaging, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but cameras. And so like if you're running from the cops and you go hide in the bushes and they bring one of those things out, they can point that thing on the bushes and see the heat that is coming from your body and uh, know that you're in the bushes. And, and, but if there was a such thing as like a fear-sensing camera and we wave that thing across the room, I think it would reveal a raging fear issue in this room. And some of you are sitting there thinking, nah, not me. It would be perfectly blue right here and red maybe next to me, but blue right here because I ain't got no fear. Some of you don't even realize that your life is being controlled by fear. Some of you don't realize that your life is being controlled by anxiety and worry. Some of you don't realize how much of a grip on your life it has. It controls your thoughts, your decisions, and your actions. It has seriously got a grip on your life. In so many ways, we, we fear, and fear controls our lives. Like, you need to see this. Fear paralyzes us. Fear restricts us. It it holds us back. It slows us down. Fear can rob your joy. Fear can rob you of sleep. Fear can overwhelm you. It can mislead you. It, it, It puts us on edge. Now, not all fear is bad. It's good to fear God. As we said a few weeks ago in the, in the other series we were doing, the fear of God leaves no room for the fear of anything else. Not all fear is bad, but here Jesus says, don't be anxious. He says, don't fear. Now, thankfully, Jesus is compassionate. And he doesn't just leave it at that. Thankfully, he's compassionate, and he goes on to like, explain what he's talking about. Like, I'm not a good counselor. Um, I, I just, I'm not good when, when I sit down one-on-one with people and, and they come to me and they have an issue and they want me to talk through it with them. I'm just not good at that. Like, I, I, I do it. I try to be good at it. But I, and it's not because I'm not compassionate. Like, I do have compassion. Some of y'all who know me are like, yeah, you ain't got no compassion. No, I, I, I do. I just don't know how to express it as well, I guess. And uh, maybe I don't have as much as others. I don't know. I, I, I pray. I, seriously, I pray that God would help me to grow in compassion because that's Jesus' compassion. I want to be more like that. But I don't have the type of compassion Jesus has and like some of you have. So like somebody comes into my office and says, hey, I'm addicted to this. Then my initial response is, well, stop it. I mean, that's what I want. Sometimes that's what I've said. I'm getting better. But sometimes I'll just say, well, stop. Just stop. Or somebody will come in and say, well, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm dealing with the sadness and this emotion over something that happened in the past. And my gut response is just to say, well, get over it. Or somebody comes in and says, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of this, or I'm, I'm anxious because of this, or I'm, I, I can't stop worrying about this. My gut response is to simply say, well, don't be anxious. Like, stop. Now, thankfully, Jesus shows more compassion than that. 
uh, thankfully, he doesn't just stop here and just say, well, stop being anxious. Like he, he gets to the underlying root of the problem. There's, there's people in our ministry, leaders in our ministry, who are so good. They can sit down with you or with me or whoever needs counseling, and, and they can say, they, that you, you, can, you can explain to them what you're going through. And just so quick, through a few questions, they can ask, they can get to the underlying issue that you're dealing with and help you overcome what you're struggling with by God's grace working through them. And, and Jesus does this here. He doesn't stop with stop being scared or stop being afraid. He goes on, verse 23. He says, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. I, if if you've got a pen and assuming you've got like an actual Bible in front of you, I, I want you to underline or circle that phrase, life is more. If, if you're on a little app, then highlight it if you can. Life is more. That word for life in the Greek is the word psuche. Everybody say psuche. Just learn a Greek word, and here's what it means. I mean, it means life, but it also means soul. It's spelled out, transliterated out in English, it's, it's where we get the word. It, it, it spells psych, P-S-Y-C-H-E. I almost said K, C-H-E, psuche. Not only does it mean life, it means soul. And so essentially what Jesus is saying here is your soul craves more than these things. Your soul craves more than these things. Life is more. Your soul craves more. So here's what that means. If, if, if all you're feeding yourself is food, then you might be full on a physical level, but you can still be starving on a spiritual level. If all you cover yourself with is clothes, then you might be clothed on a physical level, but you can still be naked on a spiritual level. You can have all the success in the world. You can have all the friends in the world. You can have all the money in the world, but your soul can still be completely empty. Matthew 16, 26, I quoted this verse last week or two weeks ago. It's kind of almost becoming the unintentional theme of this series. But, but Jesus says, for, <clears throat> for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? In other words, you can have everything in the world and your soul still be found wanting. Jesus says life is more than food. Life is more than clothing. Life is more than sex. Life is more than money. Your soul, which is the center of your being, which is the essence of who you are, craves something more. Can you feel that? Like seriously. Some of you for the first time, you're like, oh, that's what I've been feeling this whole time and trying to satisfy, but can't. Your soul craves more than that stuff. And, and what you'll see as you dig further into Scripture and you begin to explore who Jesus is, your soul is craving a real, active, dynamic relationship with God. And the only way to quench that craving, the only way to fulfill that craving, is by putting your faith in Christ. The only way to have a relationship with God is through faith in Christ. It all goes back to what I said a second ago. The fear of God leaves no room for the fear of anything else. So if you trust God, there's no room for the fear of anything else. Listen to me, if you know God, and remember, the only way you can know God, according to the Bible, is through putting your faith in Christ. He's the mediator between us. He's the one who allows us access to God. So if you know God, there's no room for the fear of anything else. If you have faith in Christ, if you have faith in the promises of God, that leaves no room for the fear of anything else. So look at verse 24. He says, Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, verse 25, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Obvious rhetorical question, obvious answer is 
None of you. I can't. You can't. If then, verse 26, you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Now, kind of a side note here. I want to read the rest of this little discourse here. But a, but a brief side note. How many of you have ever lost sleep over anxiety? Raise your hand. Let's be honest for a minute. Okay, a lot. Those of you who don't have your hand up, you're probably lying. So you need to deal with that in a different sermon. Yeah, how many of you, so a lot of us have lost sleep over anxiety. I'm just going to be real with you. I'm going to be real with you. This sermon has been a sneak attack to my gut this week because I deal with this a lot. Um, I, I struggle with anxiety, just being real. My Monday nights and Tuesday mornings are normally terrible leading up to overflow. I, I deal with so much anxiety. I, I either can't sleep because I'm anxious over the fact that I'm not as far along in my preparation for tonight as I want to be, or I can't sleep because I've got my sermon done and I'm so stinking pumped to preach it that I can't sleep because I want to preach it right then. Uh, the first time I ever preached here on Sunday morning uh, was like four years ago. Uh, <clears throat> Dr. Jeff, who was here last week, he asked me to preach uh, the Sunday coming out of spring break. And uh, I was so excited to preach, and I had been preparing and everything. Um, and we get back from spring break on, on Saturday. We drove in from New Orleans, and we get back on Saturday. And I sat down with my notes to just continue to prepare. I had to, you know, still finish up some things. And I'm telling you, like, it was like this roadblock in front of me. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't accomplish anything. And this unbelievable, heavy wave of anxiety and worry and fear just came over me. It was literally, and I mean this, it was literally one of the worst nights of my life. And, and you're like, man, what? I'm telling you, it really was terrible. Uh, I, I've never been in a place like that ever before and ever since. And, and I, I was just carrying, some of you have been there. You're just carrying this unbearable weight of of like fear. And so it's like two, now three o'clock in the morning, and I, I'm, I'm staring at a blank, like normally what I do the day before, I have all my notes, and then I type them up, and then that's my sermon. Well, I'm staring at a blank screen, blank Word document on my computer at 3 a.m. in the morning. And even though I've been preparing for a couple of weeks for this, I have nothing. And I'm freaking out. And I mean, seriously, I start, I mean, terrible thoughts going through my mind. One of the funnier thoughts was I thought about calling Jeff at like 8 that morning saying, dude, I'm so sick and I can't come preach this morning. <laughs> but I got so convicted over that because I'm like, I can't, the first, like, this is my first few months at this church. I can't lie to my church in my first few months. And so 3, three o'clock, blank Word document. I've told Jeff this story too, by the way, um, and he laughed just like y'all did. Uh, but I, so blank document, 3 o'clock in the morning. And finally I'm like, I can't do this. So I just go to bed. And I lay there in bed and I couldn't sleep. And I remember looking at the clock, it was probably 5 in the morning. And, and that was the last time I saw the clock, and then I had my clock set for 6.30 in the morning to get up and just see if God was going to miraculously give me these words for this sermon. And I got up at 6.30 after not having hardly any sleep. I couldn't eat. I was just so, my stomach was just churning like crazy. And again, just blank document. And so it's like 8 o'clock. I got nothing. And I, I get here to the church, and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. Like, I, I have no clue what I'm going to do. And so um, I called Jeff, and I was like, dude, I have no clue what I'm going to do. And uh, he's like, what? Are you kidding me? And I was like, man, look, I'm just going to preach from this text over here. I've, I've preached it before. It's something close to my heart. I'm really sorry. Can we deal with this later? And uh, he's like, yeah, that's fine, I guess. And so I ended up preaching. But I, I, I guess I'm pointing this out to you to say, like, you can't add anything to your life through anxiety. And I, and I know that all of us in this room in some form or fashion have dealt with it. I don't need to say this, but you literally cannot add hours to your life through being anxious. In fact, studies show that quite the opposite is true. Anxiety, studies show that anxieties, anxiety leads to often shortening your lifespan and oftentimes leads 
to greater health issues, health problems. You read on. So he says in, in verse 25, And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Verse 27, he says, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? So Jesus, he gives us two pictures here. One picture is of these ravens, a.k.a. birds, and then one picture is of these lilies. Now, I had to look up what a lily was. I, I, I figured it was a flower. I thought it was actually the flowers or weeds, actually, that come up and they... To me, these weeds I'm thinking of, they look like uh, the Reunion Tower in Dallas. Uh, and I think they're called maybe dandelions. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> is that weird? They look like Reunion. Who says a flower or a weed looks like Re- Reunion Tower? Anyways, they're the ones you pick up as a little kid and you blow all the little seeds off. Or, or I would just like kick them and destroy them all. Um, I thought those were lilies. But those are not lilies. Lilies apparently are cooler flowers than that. But the point is, he gives two pictures. Ravens and lilies. Birds and flowers. And listen to me. Both... Both are small. Both are simple. Both are seemingly insignificant, yet God provides for and he takes care of both. A couple weeks ago, I had to go to the eye doctor. First time in years, okay? And I had to, I had, I, my eyes are, I'm getting old, okay? That's the point. And uh, I have to have glasses now. And so just when I read, and uh, I'm still kind of scared to wear them in public. Um, just, it's just weird for me, and I get dizzy and car sick, even though I'm not in a car. But uh, I went to the doctor, and uh, he starts telling me all the stuff about my, my eyeballs, and he's like telling me that you can learn so much about um, what's happening in a person's body just by looking at their, their eye. I don't know if you knew this. Like, there's all, you can determine like, whether or not they're healthy or whether or not they got this kind of disease or that kind of disease, and I'm like, well, do I? And he's like, no, you're good. And, but at one point, he's looking. He's like really close to my eye. And uh, he's, he's using some little gadget to look in my eye. And he goes, the eye, he, we're talking about all this. And he goes, the eye, it's like a window into your soul. <laughs> and I'm just telling you, if I didn't already know this guy, he's a member of our church and he's a cool guy. If I didn't know him, I would have been like, uh, <laughs> I need to go. Uh, but then he dilates my eyes. Have you ever had your eyes dilated? It's crazy. I'd never had that done before. And my eyes didn't respond well. It took like 36 hours for it to go away. And I'm serious. I called the doctor. I'm like, dude, I can't see anything. And he's like, you're good, man. You're good. And uh, I didn't bring anybody to drive me to the eye doctor either. I was like, can I drive home like this? He's like, yeah, you're fine. And so I'm serious. So I got my car. I can't read my speedometer, okay? Now, I can see out here fine, but I'm thinking, man, if I get pulled over, that cop is going to think I just smoked like two bowls of weed. It's not going to be good. But he's telling me all this stuff about eyes, and, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm listening, and I'm getting curious because it really is cool. He's like, the eye is the window to your soul. And that, after I got over being freaked out, like, I started asking all these other questions, and he, and he, he kind of sits back, and I was like, thanks for moving back. But then he was like, I, I, let me tell you this. He was like, I, let me tell you what I think is the coolest thing ever. And he goes, in fact, when I learned this about the eye, he's like, this is what really like, sealed the deal for me, like, convinced me that, one, God is real. And two, that God, like, very fearfully made us, created us. He starts to tell me about the tear duct in the eye. Now, some of you guys are like, man, I ain't got those. Um, you, everybody has tear ducts. And then he starts to talk about, like, the tear drops coming out of the eye. And, he, and he's saying all this crazy stuff. I couldn't even try to, like, repeat it because I didn't even know what he was saying, half of it. But 
he starts talking about the, the teardrops, and he's like, man, for years, scientists have been trying to, to like replicate a teardrop, like create a perfect artificial synthetic teardrop, and, the, and they can't because the, just a teardrop is so complex. And he's like, honestly, like just the fact that something's so small and simple, yet, so is, yet is so complex and, and important to your body, like God, you are not an accident. Like God created you. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, thinking about this, hearing this, and I want you to hear this. Like, like if, if God went through all the trouble to perfectly and complexly design tear ducts that would then put out these perfectly and complexly designed teardrops, all so that they could perfectly coat and protect the windows to your soul, your eyeballs, then don't you think that you can trust him to provide for the other simpler necessities in life? Man. So read on. Verse 28, he says, and He says, but if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? The the New Living Translation, the NLT, some of you probably have that. It says, why do you have so little faith? I like that. It says, why do you have so little faith? O you of little faith. Like, here's the first thing you need to see just in those, what, five words in the ESV. The, The presence of fear reveals an absence of faith. Or, at best, the presence of fear at least reveals immaturity in our faith. Listen to me, and this has is, this is convicted my heart this week. Aside from a quote-unquote profession of faith made years ago, many of you in this room have nothing to show for your faith. In fact, apart from that past profession of faith, most of you, or at least many of you, have more evidence to show that you actually don't have faith in who God is and what God has promised. And and let me tell you, this is revealed by two things. One is, most of us, we spend our lives running from situations where our faith might be tested because we're afraid of those situations where our faith might be tested. And the other way it's revealed, it's really the same thing. Most of us spend our lives working so hard to, to, to pad ourselves up or put in these safeguards in our lives to protect us just in case we fall because we're afraid of what might happen when we fall. Now, I want you to get a visual image of this. So I need a, I need a volunteer, and I'm going to choose DJ because he's close. So come up here, DJ. Y'all give it up for DJ as he comes up here. <clears throat> As he's coming up here, um, I, uh, I need to grab something. So, uh, we spend more time, okay, curtain, get out of my way. Come over here, DJ. Please, thank you. So, we spend more time patting ourselves up than we do following Jesus. We spend more time putting in and working to have these safeguards in our life than we do following Jesus. So, so what I have here, and I want you to get a picture of this, and it's going to be kind of funny, and that's cool if you laugh, but it's, a, it's also hopefully 
shows you something. We spend more time patting ourselves up than we do following Jesus. And, and so I went and bought these 12 pillows today uh, at Walmart, and it was really weird doing this. I couldn't cram them all in one basket. Some of y'all might have been there and seen me trying to maneuver my basket. But anyways, um, each of these pillows represents different safeguards or different things that we try to pat ourselves with. I'm just trying to think through, like, what are some things that we pat ourselves with? You know, because we're afraid of, of this happening or we're afraid of that happening. We spend more time trying to protect ourselves from a fall than we do following Jesus. So one of those things I thought of is, is health insurance. And, and some of y'all kind of look at me weird. I have health insurance, okay? I'm, I'm just going to tell you that. But this is one of those things where, honestly, thinking about this week, I, I just wonder if this is one of those areas where it's so common now. In fact, you're, you're kind of like, you don't have health insurance? Like, it's... It's weird not to have health insurance, but I just wonder if this is one of those things that we spend more money and time, hold that right there, trying to pat ourselves with instead of trying to follow Jesus. Um, Another thing would be um, uh, retirement. Now, some of you now aren't, most of you now probably haven't even thought about that yet, but but soon you're going to be told, hey, you need to think about your retirement. You need to start a retirement fund. You need to start saving up for retirement. Um, And so you have, this is awkward, spread your legs a little bit. Hold that down there. So you, uh, you have health insurance. You have your retirement fund. And uh, I didn't think about how awkward this was going to be. <laughs> so you got health insurance. You got your retirement fund there. Um, you've got life insurance. Well, you don't have it yet. But one day when you get married, you're probably going to have life insurance. And... Um, and then after you, you, know, you get life insurance, you'll, you're going to have these different investments because you know, you're supposed to do that because, one, you want to be smart financially, right? And, and you want to be able to have money later on in life, and you want to be able to have money to do certain things in life. And so, so you've got life insurance just in case you die, then your, then your, your, your wife or your husband or your kids um, will then be able to uh, go on living without you. <laughs> So, how are things? <laughs> but then you have, um, you've got, uh, here, put that one right there. <laughs> Hold that one back there. So then you have, you've got a savings account. And I mean, you know, probably all of you have savings account. And then you've got, you, then you've got savings account, but then you have the other savings account at a different bank, just in case the bank that this savings account in fails. So now you have Two savings account because you you know you don't want to lose your money and you want to make sure it's in a safe place so nobody robs you and nobody takes it from you. So now you have your savings account here. Then you've got a big old wad of cash um, that's in a fire safe box hidden underneath your bed. Uh, and you've got that there just in case the savings accounts, you know, go through or maybe to hide it from the IRS or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and then let's, let's kind of move to some other stuff here. So, so then later on in life, you're going to get a house. And, and the goal is, right, to get a house in a nice neighborhood. You know, a, a, a house. it doesn't matter, you know, what your budget is really. Like you've got to stay up <clears throat> with the Joneses so you get a house in a nice neighborhood. Um, and, and you want to be in a safe place. It doesn't matter where God's called you to live. You don't think about that. We don't think about that. So we, we, we get a house in a nice neighborhood. And uh, there's that. Let's make sure this 
stays on you. And then you, um, you know, even a, even a degree, honestly, is kind of one of the pads. And again, I might get hated for saying that, but um, kind of put your arm down for a second. Uh, you know, you're told to get a degree, and, uh, and, and you're supposed to have that because that's how you get a job. That's what you're supposed to do with your life. But, but you know, even though, here, go and put it back down for a second. Um, even though sometimes God says, hey, I just want you to go somewhere now. Um, the answer is no, because you haven't got your college degree yet. And uh, you've got to pad yourself with that, you know. Um, some of you will, will go to get a doctorate or a master's. And so that's here. And here's your doctorate, here's your master's. Maybe some of you are going to go to seminary. And again, I'm not saying those things are bad. I have a degree. I'm in seminary. Hopefully it won't be for another 10 years. Um, but, uh, you know, we're trying to pad ourselves and protect our future. For uh, those of you who are doomsdayers and you have a basement full of imperishable goods, um, I figured a helmet would, like, really work for you. So... So look, we spend more time patting ourselves up than we do following Jesus. We spend more time putting safeguards in our life than we do following Jesus because we're afraid of what might happen if we fall. We're scared of what might happen if we fall. We don't want to fall. We, and here's what ends up being the case. Don't fall. Here's what ends up being the case. We end up being owned by our fears instead of owned by our faith. And listen to me, we don't have the ability to do with our money what God's calling us to do because our money is already invested and and caught up in all these other things. We're we're trusting more in what we can do for ourselves than what God can do for us. And, And here's what I want you to see. When this is how we're living, like we don't have the ability to go where God calls us to go. It's kind of hard to follow Jesus when you can hardly move. I mean, just try to walk two steps forward. (laughs) But do you see my point? Fear paralyzes. Fear restricts us. Fear gets in the way of us following Jesus and living the life that Jesus has called us to. Fear slows us down. And let me tell you, we're raising up, I believe we're raising up an army of weak Christians because we're not training believers, Christians, to take risks. People ask, well, how do I grow my faith? And our answer almost every time is, well, you've got to have a quiet time. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to pray. You've got to go to church. And listen to me, those things are good. And those things are necessary, but those things are only half of the answer to the question. James chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Consider pure, pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance, when it is complete, or when it finishes work, um, makes you mature and complete. And what James is saying is, he says it very clear, if you want to grow in your faith, stop running from trials. If you want to grow in your faith, stop living the pillow life. If you want to grow in your faith, allow your faith to be tested. You've got to rip this 
stuff. Well, that came off easy. You got to rip this stuff off. And, and here's the reality. This is the life that God's called you to. This is, this is the life that God has set you free. <laughs> to live only in him. Y'all get it for GJ as he goes and sits down. Look at verse 29. Jesus goes on to say, And don't seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Listen to that again. He says, And don't seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. God is very clearly saying, Stop living like this. This is how the rest of the world lives. God didn't save you to go on living like the rest of the world lives. And again, this is the life of fear. Paralyzing, restricting, joy sapping, and ultimately it keeps us from following Jesus. The fact that we spend more money, more time, more energy, no differently, but specifically the fact that we spend our money no differently than the rest of the world, the rest of the world being all other non-Christians in the world, it reveals how unchristian we really are. And it goes back to what we studied two weeks ago. We saw the rich man. We're doing the exact same thing that he was doing, building bigger barns. And, and, and in fact, this is what we teach in our churches. The financial advice and counsel that we give out in our churches is, often so, is, is so often no different than the financial advice you'd get from any non-Christian financial advisor. How is that even possible? I mean, listen to me. It's not possible when you consider what we're going to read and study next week. We're raising up an army of weak Christians because we're not teaching Christians to take risk. We're teaching the opposite. We're teaching Christians to run from risk. But listen to what Jesus says next, verse 31. He says, instead, seek his kingdom. It's the same thing that's recorded in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, I believe. Jesus there, it's a different recording of the same conversation but there it says seek first his kingdom and his righteousness here he says seek his kingdom let me tell you this it is risky to take that command seriously it's risky to take that command seriously because when you follow Jesus you're going to walk right into situations where you're not going to have a backup plan It's risky to follow Jesus because he's going to take you into situations where your only option is to trust in him. So right when I graduated from college, um, the Lord led me, called me, however you want to phrase it, use some churchy words, doesn't matter. Uh, He told me to move to Lubbock, Texas, um, to to go on staff at a church out there. And um, it was honestly a risky move. And, and let me pause and say this. This is a very, just honestly, a weak example of this. But I do want you to know that, like, this is something that God is having to work on in my life. Um, there's plenty of stories and people who have taken much greater, much greater risks than this. But God led me to move to Lubbock, turn down a different job in another part, um, another part of the country, and to take this job instead. And it was an internship where I was going to be paid $15,000 for the whole year, which is not a lot of money. And some of you are like, I'll take it, you know. Uh, but, you know, when you're on your own and dependent on really nobody else, uh, you're living independently, like that's not a lot of money. And what I, what I saw going into it, that wasn't going to be enough money for me to just like actually handle the financial burdens that I would have of just living in Lubbock. 
Uh, and so people advised me not to go, but I really felt like God was telling me to go, and so I went. Trusting in him, I went. Again, this is a weak example of this, but I trusted in him and I went. And let me tell you something. If I had not gone, I would have missed out on the amazing ways in which God ended up providing for me. If I hadn't gone, I, w- I would have missed out on the amazing things that God was going to do in my time in Lubbock. Um, you look at verse 31 again, it says, Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Like that last phrase, these things and these things will be added to you. That right there is why you shouldn't be afraid anymore. That phrase right there is why you shouldn't be afraid to, to take the risk of following Jesus. I'm, I moved to Lubbock, $15,000 for the year. And, uh, and it was crazy. I mean, just right off the bat, ways that God, God provided. I, I was there like first couple days looking for a place to live. I was given a place to live for a month for free. One way he provided. But I'm looking for a place to live. <clears throat> and I, drive, I just happened to drive, happened. Coincidentally, I drove by this brand new apartment's. Uh, that literally nobody had lived in yet. Two blocks from the Texas Tech campus, which is where I was going to be spending most of my time. Three blocks from the church that I was going to be working for. And a very, very, very short drive from Walmart. So had everything I needed there, including pillows. And, and I, I pull up next to this apartment, brand new. Nobody's lived there. And just coincidentally, that day, they're having a deal for rent being two ninety nine a month. Furnished apartment. All bills included. Not bad, right? So if I hadn't in faith, some of y'all like, some of y'all just like may have wet yourself. That was so crazy to hear. But it's true. I mean, if I hadn't trusted God in that, I would have missed out on the ways that he would have provided for me. And I was looking at this text. This is, we're almost done here. I was looking at this text uh, this week, and I, and I counted about six things that we learned about God in this text. And, and honestly, like these six things, they're all the reasons why we shouldn't fear. These six things are all the reasons why we should follow God and not be afraid. The first really comes from verses 23 to 28, most of the passage there. But God has the ability to feed you and clothe you. I know that sounds simple. But God literally has the ability to feed you and clothe you. Also, apparently, has the ability to furnish your apartment and pay your bills. God can do that. Second thing, God looks after his creation. That comes from verse 24 through 28, where he talks about the ravens and the lilies. And the reality is, you're part of his creation. And he says, if if he's going to look after them, feed the ravens, clothe the lilies, then of course he's going to do that for you. God looks after his creation. Third thing, God values you. Verse 24, it says, the very last part, he says, of how much more value are you than the birds? God values you. And, and remember, we saw this, I feel like, last year at some point. Um, your value is based on what people are willing to pay for you. And you can see how value, valuable you are just by looking at what God paid for you. God gave his most prized possession in his son, Jesus Christ, so that he could have you. God value. He didn't do that for the birds, but he did that for you. And that's why he says, of how much more value are you than the birds? Fourth thing, God knows what your needs are. Verse 30 says, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows that you need them. Like before you even pray and ask for them, he knows. Fifth thing, and some of you may have a hard time connecting with this, and I'm sorry for that, but God is a father, 
and he has a father's heart. I realize some of you, you don't have a father in your life, or the father that you have has not been at all a good father. And so when you hear that phrase, he has a father's heart, that may even scare you. But that's not the type of father that this father is. Um, And and as you'll see in a second, um, he, he really loves us. He really loves you. And last thing, sixth thing. And we see this in in the end of verse 31. God promises to meet not some, but all of our needs when we follow him. Matthew records the same conversation. And he says, but seek first his his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. All of our needs will be met by God when we follow him. That's the promise that's in this text. And let me just tell you, history is still waiting for God to break a promise. Go back to verse 23. This is what we're going to close with. Jesus says, For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Your soul is craving something more. Your soul is craving a relationship with God. But let me tell you what's so crazy about that. That's only half the truth. God, the engineer, the architect, the orchestrator of the universe, has that same craving for you. You look at verse 30, and it says, your father. It doesn't say my father. It doesn't say the father. It says your father. You look at verse 32, which we'll study next week. It says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Fathers, good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Not only is he your father, but it gives him great pleasure to know you and to have a relationship with you. So here's the questions I want to close with. Is your soul full or empty? Is your soul full or empty? Is your soul alive or dead? Are you living the pillow life? Or are you living the free life? Are you living a life that's controlled by fear? Or are you living a life of faith? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.